This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And yes, indeed, this is the Deep Dive, and I'm Brooke Spector. And as we do every week, uh, we bring you an interview, a discussion, a conversation uh, with someone who can help us understand the news, who can get beyond the headline get inside the events and try to understand what they mean and why they mean that. And today we're really pleased to have Miriam Herschlag uh, from Israel. She's an editor at the Times of Israel newspaper, and she's a, contrib- a contributor to the podcast The Promised. And I'll let her give a, a plug for that if she wants to. Um, she's, an, she's the opinion and blogs editor at that newspaper, and she's been an anchor, a reporter, and an editor at the Israel Broadcasting Authority, English TV version, radio news programs. And she's held training and marketing positions in Given Images, a pioneering Israeli medical technology company. And she's talking with us this morning from Tel Aviv, where she's obviously been able to watch uh, close up all the protests and demonstrations that have uh, seized the attention of Israelis and, to a considerable degree, consumers of news uh, around the world. And, Miriam, it's, it's a delight to have you here. Your your name came to us highly recommended by friends, mutual friends, uh, as someone who can help us understand rather than simply describe. And if I might, let me offer... The idea that there are four overlapping issues that confront Israel now, and I suspect that most of the listeners to this program understand them, at least in part. Let me review them as I see them. First, of course, is the proposed changes to judicial laws, sometimes called reforms, been proposed by the prime minister's allies and have given birth to an extraordinary rising tide of protests against these changes, uh, something almost un- unique to Israeli society uh, in the size and magnitude of these protests. Uh, there's also uh, a growing level of, uh, of violence uh, on, uh, on the West Bank and uh, affecting Israelis and Palestinians both. There is, I suspect, that it's only working its way through the politics now is something of the shock of the Saudi Arabian-Iranian rapprochement that was brokered by, of all people, the Chinese. Even as Israel was making efforts, widely reported efforts, to achieve their own rapprochement with with Saudi Arabia. And then finally, from the perspective of an outsider, um, question of support and division within American Jews, among American Jews, as a result of the protests, as a result of the violence, and therefore the question of the U.S. relationship to Israel going forward. I know we only have a a little while for this, and probably I've just outlined three or four hours worth of conversation, but I know you can deal with all these within the time we have. So, again, welcome, and, and I open it up to you for your thoughts. Thank you, Brooks, and thanks so much for having me and giving me an opportunity to reach your audience and also to think through these things for myself 
These days, as an editor, I'm handling a flood of uh, submissions and articles from other people. So it's been like a, a chance for me to start to think about where I am on on some of the things. Uh, I want to say that you put your, perhaps inadvertently put your finger on the pulse when you, when you couched the description of what's going on here, this judicial event as a reform, and you start right out by, as an editor, what do we call this thing? And there's an internal argument over whether calling it a reform, which is considered a mild version of what the judicial proposals are from the Netanyahu-led government are, um, versus calling it an overhaul or calling it a revolution. And uh, our position is further towards the overhaul revolution uh, terminology. It is considered a very, very dramatic uh, rearrangement of, of Israeli democracy and uh, of the relationship and the independence uh, uh, of the judiciary. So uh, that right there, uh, from an editor's point of view, is sort of a way of looking, of entering into that conversation. So you've uh, laid out uh, a, you know, all, really some of the, most of the major, major things that are, that are facing us right now, but nothing, nothing, you know, everything pales at the moment in relation to, uh, in comparison to the overhaul, to this uh, judicial overhaul. So why don't we start by talking about that? And we're talking just hours after President uh, Isaac, uh, also known as Buji Herzog, presented his uh, alternative to uh, the government's um, uh, proposals and uh they were summarily rejected by the coalition as being one-sided as being too far left as being uh as as not meeting the uh the goals of this uh government to to rearrange the um uh the these uh relationships Basically, Herzog's uh, very dramatic, live-streamed, uh, 8.30 in the evening uh, uh, primetime speech in which he uh, impassionately implored uh, all sides to begin to talk uh, in a constructive manner. It was rejected, oh, at the speed of light, <laughs> I would say, uh, by Netanyahu. Yeah. And his and his uh, allies in the government. So, um, what I think, in you know, in addition to the specifics of what Herzog proposed, he he had given an, a a detailed outline of uh, what he um, what he was suggesting. It was based on a consultation he said with uh, many groups across the spectrum. Um, generally in the think tank kind of area, the Israel Democracy Institute, the Kohelet um, uh, think tank that has uh, been influential or perhaps even has mainly shaped the the proposals. Um, and that, that that was, you know, important. It's interesting. The public was invited to download uh, the uh, the proposals, either in a shortened version or a, or a lengthier four-page detailed version, and even to press whether they supported it, which is a kind of an interesting notion by the president to start asking as if he's uh, essentially 
kind of trying to present this as a national referendum or as, you know, some kind of political body that could have some weight. But I think everyone feels, besides the details of his plan, that the most important thing he said was that civil war was a real possibility here. Whoever thinks a civil war is a line we won't cross is clueless. That's what he said. And this is terrifying for anyone who's looking at this seriously, um, who's seeing the, listen, we have half a million Israelis protesting actively. That would be, in South African terms, um, something like um, three million South Africans out in the streets. So, yeah, yeah. so, so this is... Uh, this is a really, really serious moment for Israel, a critical, uh, people talk about it in almost apocalyptic terms, close to the cliff, into the abyss. <laughs> um, we've sort of run out of the language for just, dis- for describing this. There are others who are saying this is, this is more of a natural, uh, moment. It's a moment of conflict, but it's not at that level. But, um, I will say I've been here for 30 years more. Now, and uh, I have seen this, but only once before, maybe once and a half, which was the Oslo Accords and uh, as well as the uh, disengagement from Gaza, when the country was really riven, ripped apart. So that's the moment we're in. We're going to take a station break and some commercial messages, uh, support for the program. And we'll be right back. We're speaking with Miriam Herschlag, editor and editor of the Times of Israel. Uh, and we're talking about the contemporary circumstances, overlapping challenges in the state of Israel, as literally as we're, we're speaking. And we'll be right back. This is the Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And we are back with the Deep Dive. I'm Brooke Spector, and our guest today is Miriam Herschlag, an editor of the Times of Israel. And we're speaking about the challenges that confront the Israeli state and its population. Miriam has, has gone through one of them for us, at least in part, the judicial changes, reforms, packages, modifications. I'm trying to think of a nasty phrase for it. We've very much settled on overhaul and at times a revolution, which, by the way, the uh, proponents of this have also referred to it that way. So it's uh, not only a politicized language. They see this uh, as uh, not an incremental change by any means. And uh, it's perhaps maybe worth looking at what some of the elements of it would be uh, if you want to go there, shall we? Quickly, but because we do have limited time, but sure. uh, and there are all other questions to address as well. But uh, give us give us a breakdown of what this what this would mean. Okay, so just a little bit of comparison. South Africa is a constitutional democracy, uh, like the U.S. It has a three tiered system of system of government. Israel is a democracy. It does not have a constitution. It does not have uh, it, it, its legislative and executive uh, branches. Uh, overlap tremendously, and therefore uh, there isn't a great. In other words, the coalition uh, is is a result of the majority in the Knesset, and therefore there's uh, can very often be pretty much identical positions there. Um, 
this is one of those days where everybody conspires to want your opinion or to make noise in your presence. And (laughs) we're talking to a working journalist. What can we say? (laughs) <laughs> Apologies. Uh, so um, now my phone is off. So anybody who wants me can't have me. Only you, Brooks. Only you. That, that and several hundred thousand listeners. We're, we're in good shape. <laughs> What's the chances? Obviously, predicting the future is hard. What are the chances this package will actually pass or will it be modified in accord with the way the, the state president hopes or the way demonstrators I hope it will be uh, sidelined entirely. What's the best likely outcome? I really wish I knew, you know, if if I were thinking about this at any other time, I would say that it would highly unlikely that these would pass uh, as they are because of the pushback, uh, because they are uh, rather extreme. But so far we've seen pretty much zero willingness to make changes. Now, here's where we are. There's a two-week outlook for when this uh, would would need to be passed according to the government's plans. That's because the Knesset will go into recess, and they have vowed to pass this before the recess, which means they've been pushing this through in a very, very fast way. I mean, this is, this is far reaching legislation. Normally you would think about it taking months and months. The government's been in place for three months and has been running on this. Uh, where we're at is that the, most of the bills have passed in what, in the third, in the first reading of the Knesset. And so what's left uh, to be able to pass the bill are the second and third, and third readings, which are usually done together. And those are scheduled to begin, uh, probably next week. Uh, so this, these are really fateful days, um, for, for the, uh, for Israel. And the possibility that they will be revised, um, there's been a little bit of movement inside the Likud party. Uh, Likud party members are looking around. That's the ruling party. They're looking around and they're seeing that even many of their voters um, are are very, very worried about this and are looking for compromise. I think one of the things that the president's proposal last night, Wednesday night, that is, did was to, to without getting into the details of his proposal, to show uh, that how much people really are, are seeking or interested in compromise. And I think the more people uh, kind of say, we don't know whether we like this one, whether it's perfect or not, but this is, you know, something we, we really want you, you, our representatives, to investigate because we're seeing hatred and potential violence in the streets. So far, it has been relatively, uh, it has not been calm, but it's been relatively uh, without violence, uh, apart from a few minor skirmishes with police. But it, everyone is very aware that it could get very bad. And then we have the next step, if this passes, which is that it will go to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court will rule that it is illegal. And you will have a constitutional crisis and a huge potential problem for the country because the security apparatus, the army, the police, the border police need to decide which orders they will follow. Will they follow what the court has said or will they follow what the government is, is telling them to do? And, uh, that's where the, the sort of sum of all fears comes. From that we'll be we'll be faced with with a very severe uh, constitutional crisis. 
So there's a big sign over the uh, entry at uh, Ben-Gurion Airport that says, beware. Israel's always been, you know, a bit of a crapshoot, right? <laughs> and uh, we've always faced, uh, we've faced very, um, very deep divisions, you know, um, and obviously external threats. Uh, and there are people who are saying that, uh, you know, people who fought in the War of Independence, which was a devastating war in 1948, um, who are saying this is worse for them. They see this as worse. So, um Beware. I will say that uh, world Jewry has a role here. Um, the Israeli papers are um, very often they ignore what American Jews are saying and they report everything now um, that uh, that that is being uh, all the protests now in Washington. And certainly as Netanyahu makes his way through some uh, foreign visits and the communities there are speaking to him they're getting they're they're Israelis are seeing in the media uh, the opposition from outside the country as well that, that was my fourth point which you've now covered interestingly we're going to take another break we're speaking with Mariam Hirschlag of the Times of Israel on the contemporary challenges to that country and we'll be right back with the deep dive after this this is the deep dive with Brooke Spector And we're back. This is The Deep Dive. I'm Brooke Spector, and we're speaking with Miriam Herschlag, an editor at the Times of Israel, and we're talking about the contemporary challenges that the state of Israel is confronting, preeminently changes in the judiciary that have been proposed and the, the uh, protest against that uh, that has had um, large, large demonstrations and reactions uh, internationally. But there are two other questions that I want you to tackle as well. The obvious first one is the rising level of uh, violence West Bank and between uh, Jewish Israelis and Palestinians and presumably to some degree Israeli Arabs as well. And where are we going with this? I mean, I'm sure this one is even more difficult to predict than the first one. But what do you see as a uh, the shape of these things and what's likely to emerge out of this? Yes, this is always um concern, and I would say in the recent couple of months, we've seen an uptick in uh, attacks and violence. So we had um, a terror attack in Tel Aviv uh, about a week and a half ago. Um, this is perpetrated by Palestinians, and we had the killing of two brothers and, uh, you know, and uh, before that, so uh, uh, several Israelis were having clashes with security forces in the West Bank. Um, the the two brothers who were uh, were shot in their car were killed apparently by someone from the village of Hawara, uh, which then was the scene of a Jewish pogrom against um, against the residents there, in which one man died. Quite a few people were injured and uh, homes were burnt. So these are. Uh, that in particular case um, has been something we, we've never seen at such a scale. Uh, we have seen violence from among extremist settlers uh, against Palestinians on a regular 
basis, however, that really crossed uh, some kind of a, a line of something we've, we've not seen. Uh, and all of that takes place before the very near upcoming uh, uh, holy month of Ramadan, which has traditionally been a time when extremist Palestinians have set out to uh, to attack, um, to perhaps die uh, in a way that they consider to be holy. So security forces are very concerned about this. Uh, one further new development over recent days is uh, a, a uh, an attack by an individual who came over from Lebanon, uh, probably with the blessing of Hezbollah, and uh, and detonated a bomb that uh, very very severely injured an Israeli driver. So um, and and was stopped by security forces while wearing a massive uh, uh, explosive belt. So it could have perpetrated something uh, pretty horrific, uh, and that was stopped. So we do have a level of violence here. Um, I would say also we should be looking carefully at what's going on internally in the West Bank among Palestinians. There's new polls that say that Palestinians have lost in pretty much more than half, have lost faith in the leadership of Mahmoud Abbas, um, who was, as we always say, elected uh, many years ago as a, as a four-year president with a four-year presidential term. Um, and, has really lost control, uh, coordination between Israel and the Palestinian security apparatus has been, uh, has been halted, at least officially. Uh, one wants to imagine that some of the unofficial contacts between the two forces who have actually worked quite well, uh, in cooperation have, uh, have continued quietly, but officially these are off, so we're in a vulnerable situation. And I should add, it all comes back to this judicial thing, that we also have a time in which army service is being on, is being put on the table in a way that Israelis have not done before. Reserve soldiers are suggesting that they will not serve and go and do their duty, uh, when, if they don't feel that the country is a Jewish and democratic country. So, uh, so all of this comes together. It is a precarious time. Uh, and it's a time we also have mainstreamed some very extreme, um, you know, uh, politicians who speak, uh, in, in the language that Mayor Kahana, who was once uh, outlawed here, spoke about our, you know, speak, speak in those terms about Arabs and, and, uh, the relationships between Arabs and Jews. Well, here. That's a voice. That's a name from the past too, isn't it? Yeah, but we have, you know, we have, if you look at uh, Itamar Ben Gvir, um, uh, Minister of Security, you know, has a security role in the government. Uh, Bitsalel Smotrich, they um, they are people who uh, embrace Mayor Kahana's ideology. And remember that uh, for the brief time Kahana was a Knesset member, the you know leaders of the Likud, Menachem Begin, would leave the assembly when he walked in, and eventually he was outlawed. So we've really, really uh, come quite a distance. We're speaking with Miriam Herschlag of the Times of Israel on the the overlapping contemporary challenges facing the state of Israel, and I'm sure listeners to the station, many of them follow these events closely, but. I think it's 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 important that we get an insider's view of the complexity of these various pieces which overlap and interlock. And the the next 
set of questions. In recent days, there was talk, at least uh, among American media that I read, that the Israelis and the Saudis were inching forward to something approaching, if not full diplomatic relations, but relations of a sort and more formal than there might be, might have been in the past that seems suddenly to have been totally upstaged by a photograph that has a Saudi and an Iranian in the, in the smiling embrace of a Chinese representative who had negotiated an agreement between the two sides, upstaging dramatically what was seen as that slow movement toward Saudi-Israeli rapprochement. Basic question, what's going on here and how have Israelis reacted to this um, this sudden change in, in, in temperature and events. Yes, indeed. So, yes, Saudi Arabia moved to restore ties with Iran um, with the assistance uh, of China. Um, just uh, last week, the news came, I think, uh, as a real curveball, we would say, if we were speaking American, uh, to... Uh, baseball Um, And I think a real blow to Netanyahu, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu had made it one of his um, planks of his uh, election uh, um, uh, messaging, which was that he alone could uh, bring Saudi Arabia to the table and and into an agreement as part of the framework of the Abraham Accords, uh, which he presided over as well, that brought uh, United Arab Emirates and Bahrain and and Morocco, uh, and, and I should say that when this announcement came, I happened to be in Dubai when this came. And, and in, in Dubai, um, you know, uh, having been there before the uh, uh, Bahrain, uh, before the Abraham Accords, and and back twice since then, um, you know, it's quite a dramatic change uh, that you know you can walk around. Uh, Jews walk there with uh, wearing a kippah with no problem. Uh, other than some unpl- possible unpleasantries, but certainly no danger. And, uh, it's, it's out there in the open. There are Israeli tour groups, uh, riding around the United Arab Emirates. And so Israelis now have a taste of what this could be. And Saudi Arabia was really the golden ring that was going to sew this whole thing up. There was going to be a, a united front against the Iranian menace. And uh, Saudi Arabia, um, for its own reasons, made this deal. Um, I wouldn't say that it's a uh, it was meant as uh, only a poke or even largely a poke in the eye of the Netanyahu government. Uh, it mainly uh, is uh, aimed at the Americans who have not stepped up um, to assist Saudi Arabia uh, against Iranian uh, um, aggressions, uh, against you know they they were very disappointed that the U.S. didn't uh, attack um, or take some kind of military move against Iran after Iran attacked uh, some assets of the Saudis, and also 
a really big poke in the eye of the Biden administration uh, by saying, you know, if you're not going to step in here in this region, you're going to be absent from this region. Uh, China is your your main uh, competitor in the world. Uh, um, we'll have them as our as our sponsor. Uh, you've you've abnegated. Uh, abdicated your role um, as uh, as a regional peacemaker. You know what? What else can we do? Um, I think that's the, mostly the message. But internally here, it is a blow to Netanyahu, who had very explicitly said he could bring the Saudis. I got the feeling, just as I was following it from the from the outside, obviously not in Iran, not in Saudi Arabia, not in Israel, not even in the United States now, that this was less pokes at America or even at Israel and more a very finely calibrated Saudi decision that we have to do what is best for us, regardless of what other people may think, feel, or hope. And what is best for us right now is our nearest neighbor, who happens to be armed to the teeth as well, we better figure out a way to live with them because they're right across the Persian Gulf from us. And yes. It's not yeah, I mean, you're, I think your um, your diplomatic sense is certainly sharper than mine. But countries operate based on self interest, and they've done the calculation, um, and they uh, they you know things have not been going well between Saudi Arabia uh, for some years. That predates the the Biden uh, administration, but certainly. Um, Certainly, lately it's it's gotten worse, and and yes, indeed, you know, there's Iran is right across the across the way. Uh, if you visit the UAE, by the way, you will uh, you'll find an enormous presence uh, among the population of Iranians and of Iranian commerce. The Bank of Iran is there, uh, the you know the pavilions at the Global Village and at Expo, uh, major uh, Iranian presence. So this is a this is part of the region. These are these are deep connections. I guess the Iranians would argue that, after all, they've been there for 2,000 plus plus years, uh, a major player in that part of the world. There's no reason not to be so. And by contrast, the Israelis, the Americans, even the Saudis are, are newcomers to this to this kind of thing. The fact that the Saudis and the Iranians come together to some degree seems logical. But the effect that it's going to have on the Israeli effort to knit together a relationship with Riyadh, that's going to take a blow. You know, remains to be seen exactly what all of this means. It's still very fresh. Um, and whether it's zero, there's the zero sum, you know, if Saudi Arabia has ties with Iran, does it mean necessarily that it is it the enemy of our enemy now? You know, it's sort of the friend of our enemy. Is it now our enemy um, or is it simply just, you know, real politic maneuvering? It can maneuver, it can maneuver back when it needs to. We, we, we have to see how solid this is. But internally, domestically, we get back to the government. Netanyahu has one job. It's to keep the country safe. And Netanyahu's main repeated, remember he went to Congress to talk about the Iranian threat. And if he has been unable to get the most important potential ally clearly into the Israeli, uh, onto the Israeli side, I think we can, we can say that that will not do well for his, uh, for his image and his legacy. 
He probably should have taken a leaf out of, and I hate to say this, Henry Kissinger's book. Kissinger is famous for his his exercise in triangulation between the then Soviet Union and China, uh, even as the United States was engaged in something of a proxy war with China and Vietnam. Uh, they managed to achieve a visit to China with Kissinger and then uh, Richard Nixon to build a relationship with China that could be used against the Soviet Union in a counterweight internationally. That seems to be what Israeli prime minister should be looking forward to. But do you suppose maybe his pride gets in the way on this? Well, I think his, it's, it's not necessarily a pride. He will go anywhere he can be received right now. He was meant to take a trip to the United Arab Emirates, which remember are in many ways a proxy for Saudi Arabia. They're the testing ground for these relationships. And that, uh, given the Palestinian situation, um, you can say that the Saudis, the, the Palestinians will say the Saudis and the U and the Emiratis don't care at all about us, but they, uh, they are sensitive to what's going on with Palestinians. Um, and they're aware of the turb- turbulence inside Israel. So the visit to the UAE was canceled, and that's also a signal about what was potentially possible for Saudi Arabia. Uh, Netanyahu has not been invited to Washington. He's uh, now in Germany. He visited Italy, I think, but possibly. Uh, I don't know what business Israel has right now with, with Italy and what need there was to leave the country at this time to go meet with the new government of Italy. But I think it was possible for him to um, to demonstrate that he's a statesman and that he uh, has a global uh, um, a, a global sort of um, uh, standing and therefore he's going perhaps to any country that will welcome him right now. And uh, so uh, Italy, uh, Germany, I believe he's scheduled to go to France as well. So that allows us to circle back to my original fourth question, which you addressed in part right when we began our conversation, that all of these things taken together, and most especially the, the tumult over the, the, ju- ju- the package uh, pertains to the judiciary, are prov- have provoked, I think, uh, an unprecedented debate about where Americans and American Jews in particular should stand in relationship with Israel and its current government and what that foretells for the way in which America more broadly will relate to Israel. It's really a pickle. So on the Jewish level, the the relationship between uh, world Jewry, uh, I should probably say the U.S. Jewry, has been on the rocks for, or, or has been complicated, I would say, for, for some time. Um, there's a growing polarization in the American body politic, and that also is expressed in Jewish voting. So you have, you know, just sort of what's going on in general. Um, across the boards, by the way, you know, that's another topic to, to explore that maybe this Israeli story isn't such a domestic story, but part of polarization that's happening, uh, across the board. Um, and so you have, you know, uh, generally more right-wing religious Jews who are, uh, who are continuing, um, 
more or less uncritical support of Israel, which was the, you know, which was sort of the American mainstream position, Jewish mainstream. And then you have organizations that traditionally stayed neutral who are coming out and, um, and speaking in opposition to uh, the current government and its moves. It's interesting to know or to wonder how much impact that ha- that will have on Israel, right? Do we? Uh, ha- I think that in some ways, the that bond, the traditional bond, and the sense that we need American Jewish support was uh, severed in uh, Netanyahu's most recent previous. Um, uh, period as prime minister before this one and before we had a, a brief unity government when he more or less uh, decided to leave the American Jewish community and play towards uh Christian evangelical community, which was which was uh, tremendously influential under the Trump administration and supported Israel uh, and his particular uh, take on what Israelis, uh, what Israel's goals were. So he, uh, he somewhat left, he didn't want to deal with the quarrelsome, critical, stiff-necked Jews of America when he could be received with applause and really, uh, almost worshipful applause from, from the, uh, the, the right-wing Christian, uh, groups. So some of those ties have been I wish we had more time to go into that because we'll have to, we'll have to talk again on that whole topic, that really interesting triangular relationship. Uh, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be back for some final comments. Uh, this is Brooke Spector, The Deep Dive, and we're speaking with Miriam Herslog. This is The Deep Dive with Brooke Spector. And we're back for our final moments uh, on the deep dive with uh, Miriam Herslock of the Times of Israel. And we're looking at the complex, involved relationships of contemporary challenges in Israel and as it relates to international affairs. In a minute or so, perhaps you can sort of summarize what happens next. Uh, no, you don't have two hours for that. You just have like 60 seconds if you can. So many people are using the words cliff and abyss, um, which is to say that we're really in unknown territory. And um, I would be, it would be a mistake on my part to predict uh, what will happen. Um, I, I'm happy to listen to the optimists who say that uh, this will be pulled back from the edge by clearer heads. Um, but I haven't seen a lot of indication of that. As I said, the time frame here is two weeks. But I want to say, listen, Israel has never been a unified country. We're a tribal country with deep divisions. And those divisions from time to time explode. Uh, you start with the fact that we have a tension built into our DNA, which is that we are a Jewish and democratic country. Those two things can be in opposition at times. We have a population that is extremely different in its sort of tribal affiliations, in its vision for the country. Um, and uh, we have uh, socioeconomic d- divisions. We have divisions between what are considered the Ashkenazi elite and the and the Mizrahim, uh, Haredim, uh, the g- very much growing uh, place of of ultra orthodox Haredi population is causing stresses and resentment given uh, their lack of participation in the economy. So all of this is there, and it's as if someone took 
a little hand grenade and threw it right into the middle of these cracks and they're all coming to the surface. So I would say if I have any optimism in me, it's two things. One is the Israeli population has become extremely knowledgeable now about the structure of its democracy in a way it wasn't just weeks ago. Children can tell you uh, what the meaning of an independent judiciary is because their parents are telling them. So there's an incredible engagement. It's a very heated environment, but there's a lot of engagement and thought going into this. And two, Israelis can rise to the occasion when divisions threaten us existentially. They have, we have in the past, and we have mechanisms in our society for repair. Uh, we have language for unity. We have uh, structures in which people meet together in forums. I've seen it happen, circles, literally people out in public meeting in circles, say, after the Rabin assassination, to try and understand where the other side is coming from. We're a very small country. The stakes are extremely high. And I think Israelis deep down, most of us know that. Thank you very much. We've been speaking with Miriam Hirschlag, an editor of the Times of Israel, uh, with this extraordinary journey through the interlocking circles of contestation uh, in Israel as it relates to itself as it relates to the population of the West Bank, as it relates to its near abroad issues with possibilities of connections to Saudi Arabia and by inference with Iran, and also the connection and the discord between uh, American Jews and views about Israel and Israel itself. This has been quite a conversation, and I look forward to doing this again with you, where we can explore all those wonderful wrinkles between American Jews and Israel and mm-hmm. the diaspora community more generally. Again, this is Brooke Spector with the Deep Dive, and we'll be back next week with another interesting guest who can lead us on yet another journey uh, on contemporary and important issues. Again, Mary, thanks very much. Thanks so much, Brooks. Pleasure to be on.